Sequel Quest, Episode 83, a Napoleon Dynamite sequel. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic adventure to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for launch. So let the adventure begin now. Kip, will you bring my earbuds to me? No, Napoleon, but my ears hurt real bad. Well, then maybe you should listen to this podcast I found online. It's hosted by these three guys who make up fake movies? That's pretty neat. Yeah, I already recorded like infinity of podcasts last year, but they canceled it because the show's so awesome that people were taking their cars off totally sweet jumps while listening. I think this sequel quest sounds pretty good. Yeah, right, Kip. You want to listen to some friggin' idiot like Jeff try to pitch you another Kevin Costner movie sequel? Hey now. Well, that's pretty harsh. And Jeremy has the worst podcasting reflexes in the world. He should go eat her decroated piece of crap. Jeez. <laughs> well, what about Uncle Adam? I wish he'd get out of my life and shut up. Napoleon, you just don't get it. <sighs> And with that, we welcome you to another episode of Sequel Quest. That's right, bringing you the laughs right off the bat. You're laughing, huh? Huh? Anybody? I was. Hopefully. (laughs) That's what we deliver week in and week out on Sequel Quest. It's entertainment, free entertainment. (laughs) Why am I pushing so hard on this? Well, we recently found out that we have inspired... I don't want to call them imitators, but people in the same vein out there that are pitching movie sequels in podcast format. In fact, they're doing pretty well at it. And it seems that they're on the front page of iTunes getting five-star reviews. And that's why we are realizing there is a desire for this content. There's a real interest in fake movies. So we're asking you to vote for Sequel Quest. That's right. Vote for Sequel Quest. Get on out there to iTunes. If you're already left a five-star review on iTunes, what do you do next? Each time an episode comes out, share it on Facebook, on your Twitter, on your Instagram. Tell your friends. Recommend it. Because we just love having conversations with you. We continue to grow and hear from all sorts of people. Got ideas and we want to hear even more. But with that rant out of the way, let's get into tonight's movie. Jeremy, tell him what it's all about. Starring John Heater. And no, it is not Bench Warmers. (laughs) From 2004, Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, yeah. It's it's one of those films that jumped onto the scene seemingly out of nowhere for a lot of people. And just the word of mouth and the buzz really i mean obviously it got a push it was produced by mtv films so it got a push there but this is a movie that was based on a student film by a guy named jared hess and he made this movie called peluca that he shot in his hometown and many scenes from that movie were carried over into this big budget production but when we say big budget oh what well, now hold on <laughs> yeah i was gonna say big budget no 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 this is still small budget this had a budget of four hundred thousand dollars. 
and made over $44 million at the box office, Correct. which is awesome. Mm. So, yeah, you're right. Small-time film that went to the big time. So much so that, you know, Fox Searchlight Pictures, they're the ones that kind of reach out and find those indie films. For the 10-year anniversary, they actually had a bronze statue of Napoleon Dynamite made and put in their courtyard, which is crazy. Wow. Like just, I mean, but you think about it. I mean, they it cost them nothing to produce, and they made that much money off it. It's got to be, you know, a beloved picture in their uh, archives. I have some stories to tell tonight, but where did you discover Napoleon Dynamite? Jeff, where did Napoleon Dynamite enter your life? I remember when it came out or when it was, you know, people were talking about it. Uh, and I, I really had no interest in it. And then, yeah, I ended up seeing it, I think, at a friend's house at a party or something like that. I don't remember specifically. And what was your initial impression? You liked it? You didn't like it? Oh, I don't. I still don't get this movie. <laughs> I don't understand why any, anybody thinks this is funny. Well, one of my roommates at the time, she was Mormon and she was from Idaho. And she said, you got to be Mormon and from Idaho to get this. So there is something about that, that like it's a lot of inside jokes, I guess. And so that it's it was hilarious to her and she loved it up and down. So I, that's kind of where it, it has fallen for me. I would second that, that you definitely have to be on the in for the the cultural jokes that they definitely not sprinkle in, but pepper throughout the movie. <laughs> but this was a mainstream success, obviously. I mean, there were a lot of people that just got a kick out of this movie that has no cursing, has no nudity, and yet it's it's so unique and ridiculous because of that. Jeremy, so it sounds like you got some chuckles out of it. So where did you find out about Napoleon Dynamite? I, I've seen this so many times, mostly in the background. Like, you hang out with people and they put it on and it's there, but you're not really paying attention um, after so many watches. It was interesting. My path to finding this is I got a tip from a friend of mine in 2004 and she was going to BYU in Provo, Utah, and she had seen a screening of the film up there, and there were more preview screenings scheduled in California. So and she was from here, so she sent me an email. She's like, I just saw this Napoleon Dynamite movie. You got to find out about it. Here's the link. Get yourself over to these screenings. And so I found out about it and I got to go to two of these screenings, but it really was an event because I went in having zero idea at all what it was about. So I just showed up and they gave you these stamp cards. And if you went and saw the movie three times, it is a frequent viewer card. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, they would give you a Napoleon Dynamite prize pack. So the first time I sit down and I'm just blown away by this movie, I'm just passing out in the theater so of course i schedule a second time to go back i took a date and we went and saw it and then the third time i'm excited to go back again but it was my mom's birthday and so i couldn't go i had already promised to take her out for dinner and so i was so disappointed to miss it you know i'd already seen it twice of course but i wanted that prize pack i got my two stamps you know and i was just like what do i do and so so i wrote a letter to Fox Searchlight Pictures, explaining my plight, explaining how devoted I was to the film and family was more important. And wouldn't you know it, 
a few weeks later, I get a package from Fox Searchlight Pictures, which contained a Vote for Pedro t-shirt and pin, a chapstick that had a special Napoleon Dynamite wrapper on it that said, but my lips hurt real bad, and a mini poster of the film, and it was awesome. But even more exciting than all of that was a personally written and signed letter from Jared Hess the writer-director. So I'm going to read this now real quick to you. It's short, but full of quirk. He says, Dear Mr. Pope, I want to personally thank you for your support and patronage in viewing two screenings of my film, Napoleon Dynamite. Your support is felt and cherished. Normally, we only issue prizes to those who survey three screenings, but I also understand that mother's birthdays are more important than watching a very funny movie for the third time. Therefore, it is with reverence and a mark of distinction that I reward you the first and only prize for viewing two screenings. I've personally put your prize package together and have filled it with priceless Napoleon Dynamite memorabilia. As I have tried to convey through Napoleon Dynamite, we're all given crucial skills to support us through life. I understand that you have many skills. I specifically appreciate you using your dating skills when viewing Napoleon Dynamite. In the future, I can only anticipate that you will continue to enrich these skills. Like I'm always informing Napoleon, cauliflower is nice, but not always the fitting path to take. I don't know what that means, by the way. Enjoy your prize package! (laughs) Sincerely, Jared Hess, and it's signed. So that is something that I've held on to and treasured for years. The chapstick melted. It didn't last. I still have the vote for Pedro pin. And unfortunately, I had a crazy ex who got mad at me once, knew how much I loved my vote for Pedro shirt because I wore it everywhere, and she cut it up with scissors and threw it at me. Wow. Yes, but... Either way, that was an amazing experience of going to those screenings and experiencing that. The last story I'll just tell about that is at the end of one screening, Kip and LaFonda actually came out in front of the audience. <laughs> and Kip was wearing his outfit from the end of the movie, the do-rag and the gangster Excellent. wear. It yep. was awesome. Wow. It was almost as like they had just exited the movie and then showed up. It was so amazing. They really did a lot of fun stuff as they were promoting the film. But let me hear from you guys. What are some of the more iconic moments for you? Because that you probably, Jeff, it sounds like you had a roommate, or I'm sure quoted this all the time. Jeremy, you've not been able to escape it. I personally just watched this movie over and over again alone. I didn't put this on at parties. I'm just like, this entertains me <laughs> solo, so I'm fine. <laughs> but Jeff, is there anything, if it didn't make you laugh, that was unforgettable? The, the part of the film that I found the most humorous was the Rico and Kip dynamic. And specifically, it was the one where Kip goes to back over the Tupperware, it breaks, and he goes, and then he just drives Dang. away. That yeah. was that was the loudest I laughed at the at the entire oh, film. I, I love that scene when Rico is just selling that couple the set, and then he pulls out the model ship, and the wife's like, I want that. <laughs> Lance, you look like a strong young pup. See if you can put a tear in that for me. And the guy, the guy is so disappointed. He has to look at his wife in shame. I, I can't do it. I just <laughs> beautiful. What about for you, Jeremy? It's all about the toss. <laughs> so much so that Burger King brought them back. Yeah, I just found out brought about Napoleon that. Napoleon and Pedro back. Yeah, it's amazing the life that the movie has found and continued to push. You know, like I think the only. Uh, official live action sequel appearance 
was there were some commercials for the Utah State Fair that they did oh, a few so, so Napoleon <laughs> and Pedro came back for that and they did a few of those but in 2012 they actually got an animated series which was kind of out of nowhere and I didn't have network TV at the time so I didn't get to watch it I was super bummed but it's on Hulu now and I know Jeremy and I both watched it this last week what did you think Jeremy those who've not seen it aren't missing much. <laughs> uh, I disagree. I think uh-huh. it's actually pretty hilarious. And it, it picks up so many threads from the movie, yet it's done in like a Simpsons family guy style where, you know, it is everything's kind of extreme and they make use of the animated format. But at the same time, it's all the original actors coming back to voice their characters. So that's pretty exciting. Mm. Uh, so if you want to check it out, it's only six episodes. I, I recommend it at least. <laughs> <laughs> one for one again. But the other thing, too, I wanted to mention is my connection to this film continues because I've run into so many people that's like six degrees of Napoleon Dynamite in my life that have connections. Like my wife went to college with one of the founding members of the Preston High School Happy Hand Sign Language Club that you see in the movie, you know, they they do their presentation in front of the class. So this girl was one of the people who came up with that idea and went to Preston High School, put it all together. So that was inspired by her. And also, my buddy Kelton had a college art class with a girl who plays Trisha that Napoleon goes to the dance with. And then... I actually almost worked with Jared Hess on a film project around 2009. I had a friend who was a director, and he had made music videos for Modest Yahoo, if anybody remembers that guy, or The Neon Trees. And he was developing a project with Jared Hess that asked me to come on board as a writer. So, you know, I sent in some sample scripts and was kind of waiting. But in the meantime, one of Jared Hess's worst films... He's done a lot. He's done a fair amount of films. We'll get into this, but his absolute worst in my mind is Gentleman Broncos. And that came out and tanked and that opportunity kind of fizzled. I think his star fell for a few years before he got back into things. Has anybody seen that movie, Jeff? Gentleman Broncos with Sam Rockwell? Gentleman doesn't even ring a bell. It's it's bad. I mean, it's basically, yeah, it it It, is. It's trying to repeat the Napoleon Dynamite aesthetic and attitude and it just doesn't work i mean it's got some great actors in it you know jermaine clement is in it from flight of the concords i know you like him jeff but it doesn't work it so much so i was so mad after seeing that movie it was in the dollar store for years and i wouldn't even consider buying a copy for a dollar i just left it there on the shelf because i was just like <laughs> i never want to be this angry Overpaid. again over yeah But see, the thing is, Jared Hess, he's a talented guy because Nacho Libre was a great follow-up to Napoleon Dynamite. Yes. Jeff, you love that movie, yes? Yeah, that's, I didn't know that was... Oh, really? That came out of him. Well, they did that student film that you were talking about. They based Napoleon Dynamite. He did that in college. They submitted it to a thing, and then one of his buddies convinced him he needs to drop out of college in order to make this into a movie, which he did. And so he never graduated, or at least he didn't graduate college at that time to make this movie. And then, yeah, I I didn't know it went any further. Well, that's the thing. This guy is flying under the radar in Hollywood, and yet he's working 
with top talent. Because, you know, in Nacho Libre, obviously, yeah, Jack Black. And I, that movie is endlessly rewatchable. It's so great. But like I said, when Gentleman Broncos came out, I was mad at it killing the momentum for this guy who I thought was like a comedic genius. He's like the American Edgar Wright without the visual flash, but he's got the quirky flash to him, you know? This is what I found out today as I was researching a little bit more. So he did a movie in 2015 called Don Verdeen with Sam Rockwell, Will Forte, and Danny McBride that I never heard any promotion for. I have heard nothing about this movie. And I looked it up. Basically, it's about a biblical archaeologist who finds the skull of Goliath. And then it legally takes it out of the Holy Land to this church that wants it to promote themselves. And uh, so it's kind of quirky in that way. And Jermaine Clements in that one again as well. But he also then, right after that, made another movie called Masterminds in 2016. And that has like an all-star cast of Saturday Night Live alumni. Three-fourths of the new Ghostbusters. That has Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon, Leslie Jones, <laughs> Jason Sudeikis, plus Zach Galifianakis is the star, and Owen Wilson is the bad guy in it. I mean, it's got so many people. Plus, Jeff, Kristen Wiig's character in that movie shares the name of your sister and a former guest host, which cracks me up. There's a Kelly Campbell in that movie. Oh, it is Campbell. Yeah. I just says Kelly. No, it's Kelly oh, Campbell, yeah. But it's based on a true story. It's actually on YouTube for free. So I don't know why <laughs> that is allowed. Well, it doesn't look like it went over very yeah, well. Yeah, but it's actually really good. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Oh, you yeah, liked it? I, thought it was, okay. I, I would recommend go find it on YouTube or pay four ninety nine. You know, support the guy's career. Well, it is that, yeah. And I think it's that tough part, too, that you're talking about. Because, I mean, if you look at Jared Hess's filmography, is it one, I mean, he's a college kid when he did Napoleon Dynamite. So then he does Nacho Libre two years later, but then, yeah, nothing for three years until he's Gentleman Broncos, and then nothing for six years, really, until he does that Don Verdeen. So he, he uh, yeah, isn't, isn't pumping them out, per se. Now, Jeff, he did direct some episodes for a TV show we've discussed briefly on the show or behind the show, Last Man on Earth. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, which and I was trying to see the those two episodes if I remember those because that that was sadly canceled now, but uh, it was a, a pretty great show. And again, with that Will Forte Saturday Night Live connection. Yes, he's also in the works with the with Shanghai Jackie Dawn. Chan. Right. Shanghai yeah. Nights. Thing of Dawn. Oh, Dawn, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's working on the finale of that trilogy. This is the thing. So, I mean, obviously he deals with quirky character actors. That's that's his aesthetic. And and this movie, though, I think is definitely a lightning in the bottle scenario i mean the fact that you can just be introduced to these characters without any understanding because like the most famous person in the movie i'm pretty sure is you know the actor who's playing rex who you know if you remember him from the drew carey show the beverly hillbillies movie Dietrich Bader. so he's great uh people know him and then some people might know just because he works a lot is john grise who plays uncle rico and he is actually, I mean, this is my connection for him, is the Wolfman in the Monster Squad. So if we go back there, that's him. <laughs> you would know that, yes. But then there's John Heater, who, this was a huge launching pad for him. I mean, he went on, wow. he had 
constant work for about five, yeah, six but... years. I'm not saying quality work. <laughs> not great work. <laughs> See, yeah. Well, that's it's, it's kind of the one, I guess not sad. I mean, maybe it even adds to the mystique of this film is that it wasn't really a launching pad for anybody. I mean, he did a lot of stuff, but then his you know career kind of didn't go anywhere. You know what I mean? Because it's this little film that, you know, it's the same thing with, what was the other one that it makes me think of? Um, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Same thing with a bunch of no-name people that, like, it's not like it was, you know, they've become, you know, household names after that. You call Joey Fatone from NSYNC a nobody? He's a delight. Yes. You yes, want some I Windex? Am. Put some Windex on it. <laughs> okay. But no, but yeah. And then another person that I followed, uh, I followed him to one movie, which was Employee of the <laughs> Month. If anybody has seen that movie, Efren Ramirez, who plays Pedro, I think that's like his only other major credit. It's a, it's oh, a yeah, Dane yeah, yeah. Cook movie. And it's actually kind of terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not great. And Efren Ramirez uh, doesn't really have much to do in it. But there is a standout in that movie. I'll just say, if anybody gives it a chance, you see it in a, a 50 Cent bid. Dax Shepard in that movie, as the villain, as the nemesis Vince, gives a tour de force performance. He makes me laugh nonstop. Um, so, employee of the month, just for Dax Shepard, if you want. So, But John Heater is the one I feel like... If anybody's going to get a chance, I mean, he worked with Billy Bob Thornton, you know, School for Scoundrels, Anna Ferris, you know, he did, you know, obviously Benchwarmers, as mentioned by Jeremy. That's probably his one good movie. I actually like that movie. I don't like very many oh, Adam really? Sandler produced films, but that one's all right. Uh, Rob Schneider shows some humanity. Wait, isn't Benchwarmers that like really offensive one about people pretending to be mentally challenged? No, that one's Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, or we have three-player <laughs> baseball team. Okay, good. Yeah, well, it's tough, yeah. And I, I feel like that's been the tough thing with John Heater is that everybody loved him as Napoleon Dynamite, and he's not Napoleon Dynamite. And all the other roles that I've seen him in, he's trying to go the exact. It's like um, what's his name, Jaleel White. I'm not Steve Urkel, guys. I'm this guy, but it's like no one wants to see that guy. They want to yeah. see Napoleon Dynamite again. So it's, I think it's tough for an actor that plays a very unique, quirky character. It's hard to go off that. He's moved even away from you know on-camera stuff now. He does a lot of voiceover work mm -hmm. now, too. So I've seen his name pop up in some cartoons that my kids have watched. So that's kind of his wheelhouse now. So, But that's the question, then, that if he really couldn't repeat the success he had in Napoleon Dynamite, and Jared Hess has been kind of chasing it it seems like he's working but he's just never reached that peak again then is napoleon dynamite sequel material you know is there something there that you could maybe not catch the lightning in the bottle again but get another flash in the pan on some other level do something exciting with the franchise again it seems like the cartoon series didn't catch on either and yet i i feel like it still adores like it's still a you know a beloved film for what it is so that's why I'm curious to see where we think we can take this. Jeff, you got an idea for this film you don't get? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so again, the two things is, so then the sequel, uh, you know, might be completely off base. But the other part is, too, is that I feel like the distinctive of Napoleon Dynamite is that awkward geek humor, which, again, I don't necessarily get, but I think the sequel would need that. So... With my pitch goes certain, like, insert awkward humor here. So that would just be, you know, all over the place. 
So anyway, I would I, I'm pitching Napoleon Dynamite 2 Recall. This takes place two months after the original film. Deb and Napoleon are now dating, which has caused friction between him and Pedro because they no longer hang out together because Napoleon is spending all of his time with Deb, and so again, awkward humor would be inserted there. Meanwhile, Kip has started his hip-hop career. He's only playing in small clubs thus far and surprisingly is being poorly received. That's when Uncle Rico returns and says that he needs to become Kip's manager. So he starts booking him in all the wrong places. So he goes into like, you know, like a, a, a Spanish club and he goes into like a, a women's club and all the places a, a hip hopper like Kip would not belong in. So anyway, the friction between Napoleon and Pedro heats up over a while. There's, uh, it, it kind of culminates in this angry exchange, or you know, as angry as they get, I guess. And Pedro ends up challenging Napoleon to tetherball, which is you know one of his pride and, and joys. And Pedro ends up humiliating Napoleon, and just because, if you ask me, what I could tell from the, the movie, he wasn't actually very good at tetherball. And so then. Pedro annihilates him, and so then Napoleon runs away but swears to get revenge, finds out that Pedro actually didn't attend one of the school dances, which as a president he's supposed to. So then Napoleon starts pushing for uh, a recall of Pedro. So uh, there's these two competing campaigns, which are obviously very distinctive for their characters, for Pedro just kind of being Pedro, whereas... Napoleon is, you know, coming up with all these ridiculous campaign things and stuff like that. So it finally builds up until the finale when uh, it's time for their final speeches. And during their final speeches, Kip comes in and starts hip hop rapping and everybody starts breaking out into a dance and everybody becomes friends again. And Kip is the hero and it, it ends in a giant dance love fest. I love that idea, though, taking the boat for Pedro and turning it on its head. Wow. That's, uh, that's intense. Right. <laughs> but, Jeff, I was just remembering, you're not alone in not getting this movie. Because I remember, like I said, I was telling all my friends and family to go see it. I just remembered, I told my dad, I was like, Dad, go buy a ticket, go see this movie. And it's the only time I've ever heard him say, that was the stupidest movie I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. <laughs> Maybe he would like yours more. There I don't go. know. All right. Well, I'll jump in here. Go for it. Okay. So I, I have to say that one of my greatest cinematic disappointments in terms of sequels was Big Top Pee-wee, where they aged up Pee-wee from like an eternal nine-year-old to a burgeoning, sexed-up 14-year-old. It destroyed the character for me. It was a misstep. So I don't want Napoleon to have any growth. <laughs> he is confident in his own weirdness, however delusional he might be. So this film is essentially more of the same. And thus I give you Napoleon Dynamite, a warrior's heart. So, following Kip and LaFonda's wedding, the happy couple settled down in Preston, where they opened up an internet dating cafe called LaFonda's Love Room, a name which leads the townsfolk to think it's a brothel. Especially when Uncle Rico is hired to promote their new venture and does so by slapping bumper stickers on people's cars that read, Lonely in love? LaFondas will hook you up, just $5.99 an hour. The actual business model revolves around 
the couple serving lonely people food while they chat online with other local singles at computer stations in the restaurant to make a love connection. So there's also a private restaurant attached where people can plan their first in-person dates. When Kip and LaFonda change the name of the business to Log On to Love, or LOL, they begin getting a lot of customers who successfully find a match and get married by Lyle, who's also an ordained minister. And they're supplied with wedding dresses and tuxes, photos and invitations by Designs by Deb. So having recently graduated from high school, Napoleon and Pedro are hired to work in the kitchen, where Pedro turns out to be an amazing chef, using prime cuts of steak and fish in his planned cuisine. Napoleon, on the other hand, is creating dishes like tater tot tamales and effin' awesome enchiladas. Yeah, these consist mostly of surplus food from the high school cafeteria. And due to budget concerns, Napoleon's menu wins out, which causes Pedro to casually toss away his dreams. Meanwhile, Tina, the llama, stands at the door with a sign reading security around her neck, while Grandma plays bartender, mixing up cocktails like Cherry Coke and hard stuff like Arnold Palmer's. Of course, the soundtrack at Log On To Love is provided by LaFonda's cousin Jamiroquai, and his hit single Virtual Insanity plays on a constant loop, with a few tracks by Kip sneaking their way into the rotation. To help promote the business, Kip has started a YouTube channel called Kip's Tips, where he provides dating advice like, just try to be yourself, I guess, or at least talk about the parts of you that aren't too weird. Or, when all else fails, write your lady a love song. Chicks dig a crooner. Just look at Julio Iglesias. Napoleon and Deb are asked to film videos of examples of how Kip's patented pickup onlines work, which Uncle Rico films on his camcorder. But Napoleon disagrees with Kip's writing, saying, This is retarded. Girls want to be told they're a stunning princess who should be locked in a tower because they're too beautiful for the rest of the world to behold. And also, that you would defend them from an army of level 10 mages riding ligers with your awesome broadsword skills. Gosh! Despite Napoleon's opinions, the YouTube channel and business proves to be so popular that Kip and LaFonda get investors who want to open up a location in the big city, Boise. The main investor, legendary quarterback Steve Young, decides to bring Pedro along as the chef for their prestige dating and dining experience, with Deb as the design consultant for wedding parties. Napoleon is given no such offer after offending Steve Young. Napoleon tries to get out his anger by doing awkward martial arts fighting against the trees at the local park, but's approached by Uncle Rico, who was also left out of the new business venture. Rico convinces Napoleon to help him raise money to buy the original location from Kip and LaFonda to start a business of their own, using Napoleon's skills and Rico's business savvy that will put the traitors to shame. To try and convince Deb to stick around, Napoleon suggests that they hold a sweatshirt contest where people will pay to enter their fashion creations in a competition, with the winner being awarded a baby llama and a corner of their as-yet-unconfirmed new business space to sell their clothing in, which Deb agrees to participate in, as long as she doesn't have to keep the llama. Due to their printing cartridge running low on ink, the flyers come out reading wet t-shirt contest instead of sweatshirt contest, and they put them up hastily without looking. This causes a mix of protesters and rowdy college students who are just passing through town to attend the event, 
Both groups are sorely disappointed when Uncle Rico's girlfriend comes out to model bulky sweatshirts featuring sequined owls, puffy paint cows, and one hyper-color tribute to Julio Iglesias by Deb. <laughs> the duo become a laughingstock, and Rico's girlfriend breaks up with him again, while Deb decides to distance herself from the fiasco and move to Boise after all. Embarrassed, Napoleon and Rico are approached by Rex of the Rex Quando Dojo, who asks if he could buy the Julio Iglesias sweatshirt for Starla. Then finds out that they were trying to raise money for a business and asks what they had planned to do. Rico unveils the side of his van, now painted with a mural by Napoleon. It features their heads on glistening, muscle-bound barbarian bodies battling each other with a scantily clad woman laying on a liger at their feet and warrior's heart experience emblazoned on the side. They explain it's a camp where people can go to unleash their inner rage with the nobility of a sword-mielding nomad. <laughs> of course, Rex is all in and agrees to be partners in the venture, as he has grown tired of the panty waste at his dojo. Meanwhile, Kip and LaFonda are all the rage in Boise, as celebrities such as Donnie and Marie Osmond, Rachel Ray, and George Foreman attend their gala opening at Chef Pedro's Bistro, while local singles occupy computer stations at the new Login to Love. Pedro has a super hot sous chef named Lupe that finds his culinary preparation very sensual, which leads to comedic flirting with food. <laughs> Every time a couple agrees to meet in person, Chuck Woolery, the former host of the Love Connection game show, sounds an alarm and personally escorts the two lovebirds to a private booth at Chef Pedro's. Three marriages take place that night, and there's now a waiting list six months long just to get into the building. Kip and LaFonda hit the local radio morning show circuit where Kip performs a new song featuring too much auto-tune called Two Hearts and a Modem. Later, at a TV news morning show, a mix-up in the DVD being handed over to the news department by Kip causes them to unknowingly air the dramatization video where Napoleon gives his views on what women really want to hear, which goes viral online and makes Napoleon the new Star Wars kid. Napoleon is notified of his new fame by Uncle Rico, then calls Kip and chews out his older brother for making him look like a friggin' idiot. But full of himself, Kip just says, Maybe if you had just stuck to the script, none of this would have happened. And hangs up, which LaFonda and Deb are surprised and upset by. This causes the Warriors' heart experience to get off to a rough start, with no one signing up at the table the boys set up out in front of the gas station mini-mart. Instead, passers-by just want to make fun of Napoleon and ask mockingly for dating tips. When Napoleon and Rex stage a broadsword versus mace battle to drum up business, they accidentally cut a gas pump hose, and a spark from the sword hitting the pavement catches the mini-mart on fire! But Napoleon rescues the staff and some customers from the burning shop by using the sword to cut through the flaming wreckage. It gets his picture in the paper wearing a Warrior's Heart t-shirt with the headline, Sword-Building Hero Saves Twelve from Freak Fire. Next, we see townsfolk of all ages and genders signing up for the Warrior's Heart experience. But soon, cars from out of state are showing up with money in hand as well, claiming that they saw the security camera footage from the Minimart rescue online, and they all want to have the same warrior skills as Napoleon. <laughs> so they begin their arduous and ridiculous training. Unfortunately, Kip and LaFonda are not having as much luck. Just a few days after their grand opening, a scandal breaks out when it's revealed that one of the men who got married through Log On To Love was actually an infamous militia leader named Olin McDaniels, whose group had robbed a bank six months prior to finance their separatist compound and had a 
eventually taken his love connection hostage. Then, Chef Pedro's is shut down by the health department after discovering that the chefs were engaging in some tame but unsanitary food play in their flirtations. <laughs> Steve Young tells them that the, events, the investors are pulling out and that Kip really fumbled the ball on this one. Returning home humbled, LaFonda encourages Kip to make amends with his brother, who says, Yeah, I was pretty butthurt over you ditching me, but as I always tell my young warriors, bitterness has no place in the heart of a champion. Allies are your real strength. Then, out of nowhere, McDaniels and his militia storm the dynamite home and take the family hostage, threatening to feed Kip to their pet alligators, to which Kip responds, Alligators in Idaho? gonna be a bit chilly come winter you should knit them some sweaters napoleon manages to send out a trained bird to deliver a message to his camp of warriors with a plea for help the gaggle of warriors led by rex then clash braveheart style with the militiamen on the field of battle distracting the gun-wielding madmen with awkward fighting styles and makeshift weapons they also manage to deflect the occasional gunfire burst by sheer luck by what Napoleon told them was a protective shield he placed over them from an enchanted crystal he ordered online from an Irish shaman. The militia are soon surrounded and taken into custody by FBI agents who recognize Napoleon from his rescue video and commend him for his bravery. And so things get back to normal in Preston, Idaho, even if Napoleon has a little bit more street cred online. So there you have it, Napoleon Dynamite, a warrior's heart. <laughs> that was that was amazing yeah. <laughs> all right jeremy what do you got concept wise for us there is no way to go back in time and do a sequel so it is set in present day grandma passed away years back leaving napoleon and deb the house in her will Uncle Rico failed in his attempts to make the NFL through his, hmm, not-so-viral videos, but became a small-time viral star when he failed on an attempt at whatever he was doing, which led him to attempt more and more and more dangerous stunts in order to gain a viral following. There's been a recent accident bringing the family back to Preston as they're anticipating the end of Uncle Rico. Additional relatives have come out of the woodwork, including some illegitimate Rico children. Kip the Pimp and LaFonda return from their wild and crazy life on the road, having traded in their horse for a Mustang and now a minivan. Pedro, the once and former mayor in the Liger incident, has charged to the head post at the local Chamber of Commerce. Deb is teaching art at the local high school, and Napoleon somehow has a burgeoning local radio career in the small town. His monotone voice has somehow become a local sensation, even with the mounting incidents of cross-country truckers wrecking driving through town due to falling asleep when he's on the radio. We will follow the Dynamite Clan through their awkward and weird weekend of Napoleon hijinks. All right. Okay. 
Giving us modern day. That ain't bad. That's that's interesting, yeah, to see where everybody would have gone. I was actually really surprised that none of us did the prequel, because, you know, the big mystery in Napoleon Dynamite is who are Kip and Napoleon's parents and what <laughs> happened to them? Mm. It seems like actually the natural place to go for a sequel, even, like the parents coming back, but none of us went that direction. So, hmm. Granted, it's sort of of interest, but it's not really. Like, it isn't even really touched on in the movie. Not yeah. at all, yeah. Although, never addressed. Yeah. Although I think that it would be interesting to do, like, because uh, uh, then, like you said, Adam, with, with John Heater being older now, is it to instead, like, forget it, let's just show his parents when they were younger. And then you oh. can do the same sort of a thing with where did he get his weirdoness or whatever. Or yeah. it turns out that they're completely normal and they just really had a very strange child. <laughs> That's always the joke, though, right? It's just like, how did this happen? Uncle Rico really isn't Uncle Rico. Oh! Well, here we go. Jeff, where do you vote? I kind of feel like it's going to be what Adam said about like the Pee Wee Herman comparison, the eternal child thing. I think you're right. And like, assuming that it is doable to film something where that Napoleon could still look like he was an 18 year old in high school or around that same time, I would go with Adams. I feel like that would work well. So to clarify, do we have to make it live action? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't feel like, yeah. The awkward animation. If you ask me is a very, is a very different medium. You can do awkward animation like they did, but I just don't think it, it, yeah, doesn't read the same way. And that's partially why the cartoon failed. That's my guess, yeah. Because the, the actors in the movie, there was such a physicality to it mm. that you can't portray in art. So, Adam, where's your vote? I mean, I, I definitely see where Jeff's could go, because, you know, again, you're, you're kind of reacting to uh, the last film, and... But at the same time, I mean, I, I guess it could happen, but to my point, I don't see Napoleon dating. <laughs> I I disagree with taking that step. Like I said, just like in Big Top Peewee, he was dating, and that was the problem. Jeremy's has a lot of potential, even though he's technically growing up. You know, he's grown up, he's done what he's done, but I feel like you could probably still get some quirkiness out of that with the radio station i feel like there's there's another story element that could be plugged in so i, I have to vote for jeremy oh boy oh boy final vote is mine <laughs> we all have solid elements and i really want to see what we can come out of this with so i'll vote jeff the classic jeremy move yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right, what a piece means. They all come together in one. I'm going to pick and choose some elements here. Yeah, so the question is, if we're going to set it in the modern day, is that the element we want to take from Jeremy's? Or could we simply, I think like some of the the elements that you had in there, Jeremy, I feel like they could easily do that having just graduated. Yeah. Well, and, you know what I'm saying? And some yeah. of it too, from, and then like even going to that whole Idaho joke 
is that where like and that was some of the confusion I think for some people where they're like is this movie supposed to be in the 80s or the 70s yeah. or whatever and they're like no that's just what Idaho looks like so if there is a certain level of setting it in current day doesn't mean you can't use camcorders and walkmans and stuff like that and that's true it's like their their evolution of technology would have only gone too far that's kind of what i was putting in my pitch is saying like they're you know they they understand youtube you know and and kip was just getting into chat rooms in 2004 you know like whatever <laughs> so like so i certainly understand like that that yeah we could be using some dated technology and still technically be in the modern day so you're saying like it would have almost a late 90s, early 2000s feel. Essentially. Right. Except the modern day. 15 years later. Because what? In 2004, it came across as like early 80s. So it's like right. 20 years prior. So yeah. So this one coming out today would come out as like, yeah, late 90s or something like that. It would be Which I mean feel. works if, if Kip is doing, you know, gangster rap gangster or whatever rap. he's doing, you know, right. like that, that fits that mold and, uh, that could work. So, but what I, I like the idea that there was an estrangement between Napoleon and Pedro in high school. So I like the idea that like, let's say that was their junior year. Cause I don't think it's ever really specified uh, in the movie that they were juniors. And then their senior year, maybe Pedro gets reelected. And then there's that falling out between them. Now there, there is a time jump at the end of the movie of the original that's true. There is a one year time jump. Oh, already. does it say it's a full year? Yeah, it's oh, okay. it's a full year, later, year later when the wedding happens. Okay. And Pedro's there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, and especially if like you said Adam, so if we're if we're outside of the feel of the movie, like that if we're just advancing the story 15 years or 14 years or whatever, then yeah, I mean they would be what? 12 years out of high school, 13. I don't know exactly how old they were supposed to be. So to still have, to your point, to have like a schism or something that happened to them in school or whatever. Other than the fact that then that would be like, we could throw, uh, if we do a jump, a not full 14 year jump, we could do like a, their 10 year reunion is the that's how you start the movie so that they yeah. come back in contact with each other having not spoken for 10 years or something like that i don't know if we want to make it that severe well that that's not a bad idea only because again you get to go back to the high school setting you right. get even though they're not in high school but you get those elements and it does have to be the whole movie but i think that is a good introduction point almost so maybe we open the movie at the high school reunion and Pedro comes up and punches out Napoleon and then we get that freeze frame. Here's how we got to this point and go back in time kind of thing and work up to that moment. I can almost visualize Pedro stony faced punching Napoleon and Napoleon, you know, reacting like he does. Idiot. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that does seem like like that would even be What the crap's your problem? Right. And that's how like the title sequence starts or something like that. Seems like that yeah. would be a an unexpected draw into the rest of the film. Cause that, that's what I'm wondering. Cause I mean, if the concern is, are they too old to play those parts again? I don't think so. I don't think they've aged too badly 
in you know 14 years so like i feel like they could easily go back into the you know the high school mode because i mean if you think about it already 14 years ago they were already in their 20s playing you know 16 year olds then the question is i mean do we want to explain what the schism was over because i feel like it wouldn't be over a girl with them I, I feel like it, it would have to be something that, that they both would be very passionate about or one of them would be overly passionate about and seeing as Pedro is not passionate, you know, right. it seems like Napoleon's the one who would have cut ties probably. Would it work better to have, because then the two paths then it seems is that either one you could do that that's kind of the question and the entire movie that like we don't know and we have to like finally find out at the end and that's something dumb or something like that or if we need them to get back together on the same team for some reason uh then yeah we can just bring it up right away have them resolve it and then you know off we go yeah but in the flashback we definitely have to have a moment where you see napoleon wearing the recall pedro shirt mm. so like so we do see that that was a thing but like i feel like that had to have happened at some point just you know whether or not they're even in school still like right. he's just making right. you know he's just like ah oh, you know pedro is the most beloved president preston high ever had or something he could wear know? it to the if he does do the reunion he to the reunion to the yeah reunion. I, I still want to keep the radio station thing i want napoleon to have just stuck around he got a radio show, or maybe it's even he just has a spot on the radio show, almost like when he does his a world news report at the beginning of the movie about Loch Ness, and you know, like like he basically would report stuff to him that's like real and important, but is actually totally ridiculous, and then maybe something happens to that DJ finally, and they ask Napoleon to fill in. For some reason, they just decide to keep him on. He's enjoying his fame, but he's not particularly good at it. You know, he doesn't really know what he's doing. Oh, he's terrible. Um, that that was yeah. my vision of it. Right. <laughs> but my thought, kind of like what, along the lines of your pitch, Adam, is that, I don't know, Napoleon didn't strike me as somebody when he graduated from school to get his life together. I kind of picture him exactly. being unemployed, living in his grandmother's house. And then when Rico comes along, he kind of has no choice but to be, you know, okay, let's form this dojo or something like that. So for him to be a celebrity DJ. Well, that's what I'm saying. He's not even a celebrity. He's just the only guy on the radio in town. <laughs> like maybe <laughs> nobody else wants the gig. And so he's just, you know, he's like, it's not really even a job he wanted, except for he felt like it was important for him to talk about the latest Bigfoot sighting or something, a report on like the D and D sessions going on at the you know community center or something along those lines where he was just out of it. And then he's just all of a sudden in the spotlight. And I almost feel like maybe within that, like the way that he comes back around with Pedro or something could be like, maybe Pedro has like a need, like there, there's some emergency or tragedy and Napoleon like runs a telethon, you know, like or tell, you know. So he's like, he's he's trying to do a fundraiser for Pedro as part oh. of it, and that's where you can get a bunch of quirky characters to come in and around. Yeah. See, okay. as we were talking, I was thinking like we can have the schism in the past, and that is Napoleon ran a counter campaign to recall Pedro. And so now that Napoleon is the man on top or quote unquote on top with 
whatever the radio thing is. Now Pedro is in a position to be working to get him <laughs> off the radio. Mm, yeah. Or no, he sets up a competing radio station. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Okay. All right, and it's like total like you know Mexican morning radio, but people love it because it actually has excitement and enthusiasm to it. Which would be kind of funny to have Pedro's monotone voice with all the like special effects, like Barrel Wheel Joe. And so they're just like constantly trying to one up each other in weird ways. So like again, maybe Napoleon does the sweatshirt competition, you know, maybe yeah, yeah, you know all that work. all that kind of stuff. And Kip's tips could be part of his, his yeah. show. Yeah, yeah, that all works. So then, what what's our? Because I think I'm assuming that we want them to end up friends at the end. So can we have a dance party, or how is the best way to? Get them all back together. Dance party, dance off. The dance at the off. High school reunion with Kip's winner take all. Beats. I almost feel like it has to be a multifaceted competition, because Pedro is not a dancer. You know, like he never showed he had skills, and Napoleon just got him from the Dequans dance yeah. party videotape. Right. Well, that could be a thing too. That could be a, you know, Pedro steals it from him or something, or. You know, learns learns all the moves, same moves. So Napoleon has to come up with a new routine. Right. Yeah. That I, I do have to bring up continuity from the cartoon, whether it's technically canon or not. Uh, Napoleon was an FFA champion and local celebrity, and That's true. Pedro did team up with him, and they had a little schism. Uh, Napoleon wasn't paying attention to him. They brought him on as a teammate and then completely ditched him, and they save each other's butt throughout the episode in working through their issues. So yeah, Pedro got in fights with a lot of people too. Cause there was also an episode where he got in a fight with Deb, uh, because she printed a headline about his presidency. Yes. They called it into question. So there's a little flavor of that there too. But again, the, the idea that we're setting it, you know, modern day with the schism and them coming back together after all that time, I think that's pretty cool. But again, you're, we're saying that the dance off is how they settle it. I don't think that's it. I think they have to team up for right, some Right, that's what reason. I was thinking. Because, like, I thought, like, your thing, Adam, with the, uh, the, the local militants to have where, like, Rico ah. somehow gets himself into trouble. But it's also, like... If it ended with like a Scott Pilgrim fight sequence, I feel like that's not in character for the show. No, that's what I mean. No. Yeah, it doesn't really fit. However, and dancing yeah, off I'm... against the militants, because like in yours, they they end up yeah attacking each other with clubs, and I don't know <laughs> okay. if that. So, so what if we did have a a Scott Pilgrim esque fight scene at the end, but it turns out that they're just larping out in the park. So we see what's in their mind, you're yeah, saying, and then it, it cuts to LARPing? And, and it's just them with foam swords out in the park fighting it out. Against militants? Or against each other, Jeremy. Against who, who each other. Who are they other. fighting? Yeah. Oh, but how do we get them on the same team, though? Do they yeah, because we don't, we don't want to end with just, like, Napoleon beats Pedro, so Pedro's a villain. Yeah. Like, we don't want that. Or vice like, versa. That's what, yeah. But I like your idea, Jeff, because I, I think that's a good sequence, actually, though, Jeremy. Like, I feel like that needs to be in the movie. Like, there's a moment Or maybe where it was think, in the like, past or something. Yeah. But I like the idea of having the, the militants come into town. I mean, this could be something, like, I don't know if maybe Kip... Because we haven't really talked too much about Kip. Either Kip or Uncle Rico 
gets probably Rico would get in with the militia because he's just like got nothing else going on in right. his life and he maybe doesn't understand what they're all about. And then maybe somebody else like gets kidnapped as part of that, whether it's like Kip and LaFonda or something. So Napoleon and Pedro have to team up to literally like infiltrate and, and Napoleon thinks he has the skills to do it. You know, so they have to like sneak in and rescue the family or something mm. along those lines. Instead of the militia coming to them, they go to the militia to the compound. Which, by the way, now are we supposed to? Does Napoleon actually have skills, or is it a joke? No, that's the joke. <laughs> it is Although the I, joke. I've, I've, okay. Yeah, I can think there's two. Like he might have like two or three things that sort of work out by accident. But he's not actually, he doesn't have training, you know? Right. Because even the dancing, the dancing worked, but it wasn't really good dancing. <laughs> it just caught everybody by surprise. Gotcha. And I like the idea also that maybe at one point the militia leader, Napoleon, is his favorite, or Pedro is his favorite radio station, you know, that he listens to. And so they he, they think they're going to get away because they're like, oh, you like our work. He's like, no, I still have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so something along those lines that would, uh, that would you know, tie it all together. Uh, but we also haven't talked about what Deb would be doing during all of this. And is she still in town or is she not? Or I guess she would be back for the reunion as well, but maybe that would just be a quick cameo. Or do we feel like she has something to contribute to it all? Mm. Well, what if she's kind of the the voice of reason? She's the one that's kind of like trying to bring them back together. Because it seems like I almost she feel would like do she that. would do it on air. Like she would go on one of their shows and bring it up, you know. So it'd be really awkward for one of them, right. you know. And make them call the other show or something. And actually, they should be trying to sabotage each other's shows, too, <laughs> at some point, you know. Like, like Napoleon's like, taco delivery, you know, come in. And then, like, your show sucks. You know, like, whatever he would do and just <laughs> run away. Like, his super immature sabotage. Pedro sends a Trojan pinata or something. Some Trojan tots that give Napoleon diarrhea so he has to run out on the yeah. air, you know. Some gross-out humor. Jared Hess loves gross-out humor. I don't like it when he does that stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> but he seems to incorporate it in all of his movies. There you go. Yeah, I think overall that sounds like it would work then. Like we say, the core of it is repairing the schism and then teaming up against uh, a wacky militiaman. So we don't really have too many new characters as far as casting would go. But for the militia man, is there an actor, like a character actor, you feel like could fit well into this quirky universe to play that part? He doesn't really even have to be like an old guy, you know. He doesn't have to be an right. old grizzled militiaman, you know. He could be a young upstart. So explain to me the crux of the militiaman. Well, I feel like he's definitely, um, and I'm actually stealing this from an old uh, Mr. Show sketch, which is great. You guys should find it. But it's basically like, you know, this guy is right seceding. He's he, he's forming his own nation away from the United States. So I think there's a lot of jokes to be had in that, you know, like printing up his own money that's got his face on it. He's got his constitution that people have to follow but he's always like making amendments so the amendments are just on a whim so he's got to have like a lackey that's always around <laughs> with him that's like making those notations there's got to be something funny about what was his last straw that he got fed up you know it's got to be something like when 
a certain contestant on American Idol won over another one, and he lost faith in America. You know, like something along those lines. Right. So we, we may already have this specific character in universe. What oh. if it's Rex who breaks bad? Oh, like actually. hyper patriotic and kind of goes nuts. And he's already technically kind of an antagonist to the entire family. I mean, he beats up Uncle Rico. <laughs> he makes fun of Napoleon and Kip, you know, bow to your sensei. So he's never really a good guy in the movie. So mm. you're right. That could just be the next step he took. Or maybe it's just after <laughs> Starla left him. Yeah. The U.S. senator there you go. or something, Although, you know, like so he's against the government. Yeah, because in the one other part, too, that he, where he could come in, because, well, like you were talked about, Adam, is that we'll have kind of a flow of character actors coming in as the various things that they're attempting to do on their shows. And so he could certainly come in, yeah, to do like a karate demonstration or beat up napoleon on the air or something like that <laughs> that'd be a waste of him though don't you think well see i don't know how militiaman i picture him and i mean that was kind of the point of his character in this as well is that he was you kind of didn't take him too seriously because he wasn't someone that you're normally going to be afraid of but at the same time he he's over the top and eccentric yeah. He's very right. vocal, and those types of people gain followings. Right. And if he's doing uh, his own yeah. thing, I, I mean, he, he, he already have created to... his own fighting style. Of course, he's going to create his own nation. His own next. nation, which I guess, and I mean, it would be a unique, it would be a different spin on it too. Right. Yeah. Uh, at least for me, which you know, and I'm, so I'm not uh, opposed to it per se. But for me, I was picturing like some of the guys from Sons of Anarchy. So I was picturing either Kim Coates or Mark Boone Jr. Which Adam, you probably know Kim Coates from his role in Waterworld, but both of those guys, yeah, would be more on the creepy side of the ah. militiamen. So I don't know if we I was gonna, I was go. gonna say not Rod Perlman, isn't he on oh, that show? Oh no, no, I'm not. No, no, I'm not selling his <laughs> name, dude. You keep, yeah, Rod Perlman. You give him the title role. Well, you gotta think. You want him is... to play Napoleon? <laughs> I will, he, the man can do anything. Come on. <laughs> Rod Poley and Dynamite. I love it. Maybe <laughs> Perlman comes in as long-lost grandfather. Yeah, just, that would be a fun cameo with Grandma. He just has a scene <laughs> with Tita, chases him away, so he's got a you know, llama biting him. It would be a nice evolution, because I think people w would wonder what happened to Rex, and he was such a, such a tertiary character, but at the same time, he's one of the most memorable parts of the movie, so to have him be the one who really does have an evolution, and actually... You know what could be fun is that they don't defeat him in a violent sense, but maybe they somehow instill patriotism for the United States back in him. So it's like at the same time that Napoleon and Pedro are coming together, Rex and the United States are coming back together. <laughs> so you have sure. that extra level of ridiculousness in there. I think that could be fun. Well, maybe that's what broke him in the first place. What, recall Pedro? The the schism between Pedro and Napoleon. <laughs> you know, he'd, he was not in on their, no. <laughs> uh, their relationship politics, I don't think. <laughs> Barely aware. <laughs> but it has to, I think it has to be also that Starla left him. That was the beginning yeah. of his decline, yeah. for sure. It sent him down a dark path. Uh, the only other person, again, that I feel like it'd be nice if she had one more thing to do would be LaFonda. 
Because I feel like, again, she was she didn't get hardly any time in the film in a major role. And uh, I think it'd be fun if there was some little quirk that she could add to the proceedings. Because, again, like, you know, we said, like, Kip is coming in on the radio show. So maybe she takes over, like, the overnight shift or something for Napoleon and does, like, a Delilah-type show where she dedicates songs to lovers, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so you have LaFonda's, you know? Uh, but then, you, yeah, she has to do the, the Delilah, like, good evening. Welcome to Delilah's show, where it's just the overly, like, <laughs> emotionally. Yeah, so smooth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For those who don't know Delilah, I think she's nationally oh, syndicated. Oh, yeah. Oh, she's but... everywhere. And she's been yeah. everywhere forever. Uh, the, the other question I have, then, is what is the title of this one, then? So, I mean, is it just Napoleon Dynamite 2? Do we go with Recall? Because Recall, in a way, could you know, have a double meaning. You know, obviously it means what we're talking about in the story, mm-hmm. but it could be we're recalling, right? We're recalling the past. They're looking back to what happened that broke them apart. And also we as viewers are going back to the Napoleon Dynamite universe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It seems like it wouldn't be bad. And it, it's, it's ambiguous enough that it kind of gets your imagination going where you want to find out more. And since that is kind of what starts the whole thing, Exactly. Good work. It's multi-layered enough. Let's go for it. Yay! All right. <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite Recall. You want to know one more weird fun fact about Napoleon Dynamite I found out is Elvis Costello apparently has, like, recorded B-side tracks and, and other music under the name Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> and... So he, he was a little upset that Jared Hess had used it and claimed that he, you know, came up with the name. But Jared Hess says, no, like I met somebody uh, like a crazy homeless person or just a crazy eccentric person who told me their name was Napoleon Dynamite. Uh-huh. And it always stuck with me. So when I was making the movie, I decided just to attach that to the character because, you know, again, in the short film, in the original film, he wasn't Napoleon Dynamite. It wasn't until they made the, you know, the full-length script that that came in. So I think what it must be, like, if I'm going to bridge the schism between <laughs> Elvis Costello and Jared Hess here, I think it's that that person who talked to Jared Hess must have been an Elvis Costello fan and decided that they would just take on that moniker for themselves. I mean, that's the only explanation I could come up with, because the spontaneous creation of that name by that person does seem unlikely. There you go, guys. Let's put the bad blood to rest. Let's be friends again. We'll break (laughs) bread over tots. It'll be good. So that's it. We've done it. Napoleon Dynamite sequel. If you had other ideas out there for a place you thought it could go, reach out to us. In fact, I'll just mention... This show actually happened because somebody just said, you know what? I've always thought that there would be a good idea out there for a Napoleon Dynamite sequel. We listened. We decided to make it a show. So you could do that too. Reach out to us online, all the social medias. But as we said at the top, really tell your friends. I mean, if you're enjoying it, if you're listening week after week, don't be ashamed. Put us up there in your news feed, you know? Talk to the guy at the grocery store. Let him know. 
if you got your earbuds in and you're laughing, what are you laughing about? I'm listening to Sequel Quest. I just think a little bit goes a long way. And uh, we want to be here for the long haul. Guys, we've only almost been doing this for three years. What? If you can believe it. I cannot. Is that crazy? That is pretty crazy. <laughs> I mean, we're closing in shortly on 100 episodes. Oh. Remember I Justin. Mean, oh. oh, Justin. <laughs> He's uh, not dead, sadly, He's not dead. Yeah. I don't think we'll be getting him back for any reunion shows. There's no official schism. There was only disinterest. <laughs> but we love you, Justin. We miss you. The show has had fabulous guests, though, ever since then. So uh, we're thankful for your participation, for your listening. And we are continuing the fun. So, again, stay connected so you can find out what's coming up next. We will not disappoint you. Or maybe we already have, and it can only improve from there. <laughs> uh, but we do have some returning guests coming up. We are doing an A-Team movie sequel with a gentleman who was on our Flash Gordon episode, CT, from the Nerd Lunch podcast will be joining us. Also coming up in the Halloween months, which are not far away, October, we have two special Halloween episodes planned. We have an actual published author who at, told us she wanted to do a sequel to Spaced Invaders. Wow. If you don't know what that movie's about, Google it. She said she's had a manuscript for years <laughs> lying around that she <laughs> wants to share. And also in uh, October, to cap off the month, is a sequel to the movie Trick or Treat, a heavy metal horror film from the 80s featuring Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, in minor roles. Uh, not, certainly not the stars of that, but Jay from the Purple Stuff podcast is going to be on there. He can't wait to talk about it. He's a super fan. So again, guys, stay tuned because there's so much more to come. And until next time, Tina, you fat lord, come get some dinner. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes iTunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 